Advanced After Combat. Hey, this is uh, Advanced After Combat. Uh, it's a podcast about war games, war gaming, our games that we play, and uh, basically our experiences uh, playing those games. And uh, I'd like to welcome our new sponsor on board, Skull Smokeless Tobacco. <laughs> very much. After all the uh, the attention Skull got last time, hopefully we'll move on to some other topics. That's gross. Yeah, I got a free tube at the mail. Yeah, that's not bad. That's like ten bucks worth. They grow it down the road, though. My sister really likes skull. She does. Yeah, that's a woman, boy. Does no, she what? She actually dips. Where well, West Virginia, Dave? Of course she dips. Well, I did have a gal in college once. I was dipping in a can, and she was hanging out in my college room, and she actually took a drink out of the can I was dipping into. That was yeah. pretty classy. Thought it was a coke. Did anybody get any new war games? I did. Jason, you want to go? Yeah, I got a D-Day at Omaha Beach, second edition in the mail yesterday, actually. Pretty exciting. Do you know the difference between the first printing and this edition? I think it's exactly the same. The box art is different. Um, But I think other than that, there, I think maybe some clarification in the rules. But as far as components and everything, it's, I think, pretty much the same. But the is box art yeah. is that like a, is that a dice game or is that like a card where you put cards down or what kind of no, game? No, it's um it's the solitaire solitaire game. If you look at the map, it's got a bunch of multicolored dots all over it. And if you don't know what I'm talking about by that, then you probably haven't seen it. So it's got it's, a board and counters. Yeah, it's hex and counters. Okay. And all the German movement activations are done via a card draw. Okay. And it's probably the best solitaire game I've ever played. Period. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool system. And is, is that a series? Uh, well, it, it's going to be now. The, it's, uh, John Butterfield designed it. He designed a bunch of solitaire games that are doing two, uh, Pacific Theater ones. It's Tarawa and, I guess, Palilu. Okay. My pronunciation's See, I, pretty terrible. I haven't heard that, but I got, D-Day, the first printing when it first came out, and absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. Fell in love with it. It's awesome. Now, does it have good replay value, or is it one of the solitaires where once you kind of figure out how to win, you can win that way every time? Good replay value because the cards make it different every time. Okay. But they don't throw massive monkey wrenches into it, if that makes sense. And the goal is to what, get off the beach? I think there's objectives you have to take. Yes, there are objectives you have to take, you know. You have to break through the beachhead, um, and there's rules about climbing cliffs, and it's just a, it's genius game system. It's been probably a year since I've played it, but genius. Did you have trouble, Marshall, with the rules? I've, I've heard a lot of people complaining that the rules are a little too tough. No, I didn't have, I don't recall having any trouble with the rules. That's good to hear. How many beers for the rules? Oh, two beers. It was easy. Hmm. Well, two beers is hard. Twelve beers is easy. Oh, it was tw- and then it was probably ten beers. <laughs> That's my kind of game. <laughs> I mean, I'm playing another game I'm going to talk about now, and it's probably a beer and a half. So, you know, it, the rules for that were very straightforward, very easily understood. You know, it was, it was, I, I think it's a genius game. I can't recommend it enough. I'm happy here they, they did a reprint. Sad to hear they changed the covers. Now I'm going to have to get. <laughs> well, uh, 
I got a, I got a couple games in the mail that I haven't really played yet, but I got a, I, I had a deal with the wife where she'd been watching the credit card, but we had a come to Jesus meeting and we decided that I could buy certain games if they were on sale. So, uh, through NWS Online, I got, uh, Chariots of Fire from the Great Battles of History series, and I got, uh, uh Nothing Game But Glory from the same series as, uh, Saints in Armor by GMT. Musket, Musket and Pike. Yeah, Musket and Pike series. And, uh, I really like, uh, Chariots of Fire because it's that, that whole GBOH series is kind of really written in a fun way. The rules, there's like jokes they put in there, and, uh, and it's got even a scenario for Troy. I mean, it's basically all the biblical battles. Oh, that's cool. And uh, but I think I've always liked the Iliad, so I thought it was very cool that they have a, a Trojans versus Greeks battle, also with heroes like Achilles. I don't know that I would call Troy from the Bible, though. Right. Well, <laughs> period. Right. It's a biblical period. <laughs> but, uh, so it's got rules for Hector and stuff like that. It's cool. That's cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Who designed that? It's, uh, I think it's Richard Berg and Mark Herman. Yeah, sounds uh, right. Eight series. It's volume 14, so they've had a bunch wow. of them. But I got it because it was on sale. So, to be frank, I mean. Isn't everything on that site first on sale? They are, but sale? it was on sale for that. Uh, so, I got Nothing Game But Glory for nineteen ninety nine, and I got uh, Chariots of Fire for twenty nine ninety nine. That's pretty good. So, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I actually went into the my local gaming store when I was on lunch, thinking I was going to buy a game. I was committed because I was trying to buy some games on the slide with cash so I wouldn't get caught. <laughs> and uh, I went in there and I saw nothing game but glory and I got excited and it was fucking $65. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's, they make, it's $19 online. They so. make a, uh, they make this uh, product and they're not a sponsor yet. It's called a Green Dot MasterCard mm. and you, you go to 7-Eleven and pay your cash up front. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, and you can order shit and have it sent to work, and nobody knows. You know, you don't have to have any come to Jesus meeting. I might need to start doing that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Because I can't pay retail. Yeah, I've noticed throughout the years, you know, I used to be a big retail honk, you know, do retail, support your local game store. But the prices you pay, I just can't justify it anymore. I just can't do it. Yeah, I mean, 65 bucks to nineteen ninety-nine, And uh, the thing is, because I bought two games... They charged me $20 shipping basically regardless for one or two. So I paid basically for uh, 70 bucks. I got two games. And I think I saved about 30 bucks on the Chariots of Fire game. So, so that was good. So beyond the advantages of shopping online, those are the two games I got. I'm pretty excited about them. I actually did go into the game store and say I was going to buy a fucking game. So I bought uh, Field Commander Rommel, and I've been playing around with that. So uh, that's fun. But I paid like Fifty-five bucks for that, but I just had to buy a game, so that's what I did. What did and you then I went back and checked online, and it's like twenty-six ninety-nine or something on online. Wow, maybe that's where yeah. I'll get it then. Did you like it? The Field Commander Rommel? Yeah, yeah. I got the deluxe version, which has mounted map boards, because as Jason will say, I'm a component whore. <clears throat> yes, you are. So I have to have like nice. All the the chips are really good. All the counters are nice. There's uh, three games in one. You basically play Rommel against the AI engine, and uh, it has North Africa uh, uh, driving the Allies back from the beaches in Normandy and then commanding the Ghost Division in the invasion of France. So each each game, the rules are only like four pages, 
and each game is on the map board. So when you, all the rules and all the AI directions, like what the allies will do, are all on the map board. So it's basically like three games in one. I thought it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I, I played it twice. I had the uh, paper map version, rub it in. Well, it's only like six bucks more, I think, for the deluxe. And it's a big, I think it's a big difference in quality. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think I had that around the same time I bought D-Day at Omaha Beach, and I really preferred D-Day at Omaha Beach for the well, meat. you know, Kev Sharp has said on the big board about uh, solitaire games, he doesn't like playing against the game, you know, and uh, there is a real feel that there's, like, an AI machine that you're playing against. So, uh, you know, sometimes the AI does weird things. Like, I had, like, five divisions in Tobruk, like, all my armor and the AI launched an operation and landed like two infantry divisions in Tobruk. So I, I totally killed those guys. Um, so sometimes it's weird, but sometimes it would catch me off guard. So I think, uh, I, I enjoyed it. It's a light game. It's not real complicated, but like if I'm sitting around in the living room and my wife's watching TV or something, I can play it and it's fun. Have you played any of, uh, Dan Burson's other stuff like Field Commander Alexander? No. Yeah, I saw there's two other games in the series, but, uh, but I haven't played any of Yeah, I have Alexander, and have played it, but I don't have Field Commander Napoleon. And I yeah. like Rommel better than Alexander. Yeah, I could see Rommel being the best one. I, I think it just the way the period works with the World War II uh, warfare, I think it, it seems well-suited for it. I really don't know how it would work with Napoleon or uh, or the Ancients or anything like that. So I think they're a little different for each game, though. Or are the rules different? I think I think just a little bit, just to kind of facilitate those changes. Maybe, yeah. I, I wanted to get I, Alexander, but I've heard it's kind of the the worst of the three, and I don't I don't really care about World War II, and I'm not big on Napoleonics. Well, I mean, I basically like when I played the North Africa part, I kicked ass, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to do great at this. And then I played the Normandy one, and they the AI completely wiped the map with me. So uh, it seems fun. It seems challenging. So we'll see. Alexander was much more linear, hmm. where Rommel was much more open. Oh, really? At least the map-wise, Alexander. Yes. It's there's a an ocean or a lake right in the middle of the map on Alexander. And forgive me for this, I'm speaking from two, three year old memory, but it was very linear. Like you had to start on the left side of the board, as I recall, and cut up to the top and go up and around in an upside down U. Okay. And it, all, it always felt like, well, shit, I'm doing the same damn, you know, it's just. Well, the, is, are there different games in it, or is it one scenario? Yeah, I can't answer that. Okay. Because the, the interesting thing was North Africa is very linear, obviously, because you're moving along the North African coast. Normandy in the game was very different because, uh, initially I did well with my armor as the Germans, and I got cocky. And I started trying to buy more armored units instead of buying lots of infantry units to fill up my line. And then the Allies just started pouring onto the beaches. And before I knew it, I couldn't cover all the beaches, and they were just all over me. So um, each scenario in the Rommel game seems different as far as the strategy. So maybe that makes it more fun because your strategies are different. Is that all you got, Dave? That's it. Did you get anything, Jason? Um, yeah, I also recently um, had pre-ordered Guns of Gettysburg, which came, oh, nice. and uh, World at War, America Conquered. Uh, now, did you pre-order or kickstart? 
Uh, sorry, yeah, I kickstarted it. To me, it's basically the same thing. I mean, you pay a little bit earlier, but <clears throat> it's actually the best Kickstarter I've I've done. It's the only one that actually shipped on time. It actually shipped early. Um, everything in it's awesome. Yeah, no no complaints. It's the only Kickstarter I didn't, I didn't have any complaints with after everything showed up. Now, do you have his other games? No, I don't have any of them. I Like I said before, I don't really care about Napoleonics at all. Um, I've heard it's interesting, but when they announced a Civil War game for it, I was I was all in. Kind of tooled around with it a little bit. I had a Vassal game going of it, but I guess the Vassal module is a little broken. Uh, we've been having some issues with it, so the, the I had to unsubscribe from the game online because the rules questions just come hot and heavy. The rules, when you read them, seem pretty straightforward. Everything's laid out in a way that mostly makes sense, but they're they're pretty subtle, and it's not. Okay, here's movement. I move. Okay, let's reread combat. Okay, now let's fight. You kind of have to understand the entirety of the rules for it to make sense. Um, so I think that's where people are kind of running into issues with it. To me, I think maybe a lot of people are just overthinking it a little. Um, now is the game, is the game diceless? It's diceless, yeah. Okay, so kind of how does, Somebody told me like you're trying to get angles on, like try to gang up on units. But yeah, yeah, you're trying to get, um, like flank moves are very crushing for the defender. Um, you, you need a good artillery support when you're going in attacking. Um, you need a certain strength. And then it's basically just straight up force against force. No, no dice, no modifiers outside of, you know, like artillery and flanking that will affect the strength of either the attacker or the defender. And then you just, if the attacker wins, they win. The defender loses a step and kind of has to pull back kind of thing. How many pages of rules, Jason? Um, I think like 14 or 17. I mean, not, not anything terrible. How do, how do activations work? So it's... You're like, you're like, fuck dude, I just bought, I just got the game. No, I got it. I got... <laughs> I got it all, but it's, like I said, it, there's a lot to it. So it's, um, the, the union player is mostly going to be going first. Um, and then you either attack, withdraw, or hold. Um, and depending on what your orders are is depending on what you can do. Um, with like reinforcement and everything, it's double blind. So you don't know what you have. You don't know when your units are coming on. Okay. You know um, who's coming from where. You, you can look at where the next unit's going to come on in a certain spot. But I, uh, I guess I guess my question is: so does the Union move all their guys, and then the Confederates move all their guys, or is it like a chip pull, or is it? No, it's not a chip pull. It's it's the Union goes, and then the Confederates. But but the thing with it is, there's <clears throat> once a certain number of blocks get on the board, the turns can be quote unquote multi hour turns. So they that affects the turn a little bit and you can move a little bit more. Um, you know, depending on how combat happens, you might have to withdraw. So it's, it's the little details like that that I think is making it so complex. Uh, it's, it's hard to talk about it without playing it. Sure. A lot. Um, I've, you know, we played, I think, two turns. Um, do, do units take hits? They take steps. Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a step loss, but not, 
it's so it's a block game, but not like the Columbia blocks where they're square, they're long rectangles. Okay. So the steps are actually just different blocks that you put on. Yeah, I've seen it. It looks like uh, the way they handle rough terrain is the movement areas are smaller on the map. Um, it that yeah, so that would slow you down. Um, and then there's also obstructed terrain uh, that that costs more movement steps. That's another thing that confused people. They call movement points steps and unit hits steps. So stuff like that kind of kind of threw some people off. Do, um, but do leaders have an impact? There's uh, there's not really leaders like in um, Napoleon's Triumph with the little flags. It's just it's just um, units. So like like hoods not going to make a difference or long street. No, it's just hoods. Unit is is part of hood. So he's better. They're better maybe. Or, uh-huh. And and basically where that part comes in is with even the the step losses. If you take a step loss, you draw two blocks from your pool, uh-huh. and you cover up their steps. So like if you have two two steps, you could use both of those. But um, a lot of them have a two step unit and then a two step replacement and a one step replacement. Okay. You, you would hold both of those. Your opponent would draw one, and then that's your that's your block. So you might go from Two to two or two to one. So like Hood has two two replacements, whereas you know someone else has two ones or you know whatever. Now is there a point where uh, where your army has taken too many losses and there's a chance that they're going to withdraw or? No, no, not really. Um, the victory is depending on objectives, which are kind of an abstraction of gained ground for lack of a better term. Okay. So the Union starts off controlling all the objectives, and as they pull back, they're going to try to have to move them behind their line. Uh, and if the Confederate... I think the Confederate just has to capture two of them to win the game. Okay. And what, now, what, are, the, what are the objectives? Do you remember? They're just they're just spaces on the board. It's just like, a, it's like little round top and... and like no, um, no, they just start off in the... It's just in the middle of the board. I'm, I'm sure they have some significance, but it's not, it's not Little Round Top. It's not inside the city or the town of Gettysburg. Or like Hill or whatever. No, they're just kind of in the middle of the, in the middle of the board. Okay. This system sounds radically different. Is it radically different genius or just radically different? From people who are getting the game, it sounds like it's radically different ge- genius. That it's, it's just, it's unlike anything else. Um, and that it's rewarding to play. You know, it has that subtle, that subtle complexity that kind of once you get it, it really, really starts to shine. My only concern, based on a question that Dave asked, how accurate historically is it going to be? Um, probably not very. You know what? What really is? Well, I guess the question is: Is it? A, does it feel like a game, or does it feel like? A historical simulation of what the armies were actually trying to do on those three days. It's it's a historical simulation of what they were trying to do, but not the events as they happened. So a lot of the same things are there that the Confederacy is slow getting on the board um, because they don't have any cavalry, um, so they don't know what the roads look like. So right. someone has to come on before they use road movement. You know, the fact that you don't know... 
you know, hey, I, I know Longstreet's coming, but I don't know, I don't know when he's going to get here. You know, that, that kind of stuff feels right, but it's not going to play out exactly how, how the historical battle played out. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what was the other game you got, Jason? Uh, it was, it's a lock and load world at war game. <laughs> Uh, America Conquered, the one they just put out. It's their hypothetical World War III, um, and it brings the conflict to to North America. How's the artwork? Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. I I think when you're talking about the Lock and Load artwork that you don't like, it's the Lock and Load series, right? The squad-level tactical. Yeah, I don't mind the tanks, um, and I didn't mind, like, all things zombie it's probably okay for Nuclear Winter 68, which I don't mm-hmm. have, but I've looked into a lot. Um, but yeah, that lock and load, the artwork's terrible. Just but terrible. This just is just, it's, it's just terrible. tanks. It's tanks. Um, I have a little bit of a problem with the font they use on it, because the three looks like a five, and they're t- tiny numbers. Um, but the artwork, the tanks and everything, I, I think is fine. Um, and I was, I was throwing a hissy fit on Saturday, because, the rules are pretty chatty, I guess, is, is the term. Yes, they're always chatty. Um, one of them, I can't remember which one, maybe it's White Star Rising, uh-huh. uh, use a coffee cup for blind shit draws. Uh, make sure it's a, a clean coffee cup. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that, like, I don't know that I need that, but the... I don't mind it if the rules are clear and concise and well written, you know what I mean, but... Yeah, these don't feel that way. I, I guess everything's there, it's just... Something in the way it's worded just doesn't, it just doesn't click for me, it doesn't stick. So what I was throwing a fit about, and this is why, um, Kev Sharp and I played yesterday, cause I was bitching on his website about it. The scenario, and I meant to grab the book, the scenario has, okay, it's Cubans against first the police and then the SWAT team and then National Guard, but it's the US forces. So it's Cubans against US. Well, some of the counters you need for the Cubans are actually Nicaraguans. But there's nothing on there saying, look in this other counter mix. So I have everything separated by nationality. You're going through. I, I tore that game apart looking for one PT-76. Like, what? Why can't this just be... Put a note next to it. Nicaraguans. A couple things. So I had to make notes that, okay, this chit is part of this unit. This chit is over here because it doesn't... It doesn't say that in the scenario. So when you're trying to set this, you know, 30 minute game up, 45 minute game up, and it takes you 20 minutes to find one shit you're looking for, I, I was ready to throw it out the window. But I, I played it, I played the intro scenario solitaire, and it's, and it's fun. And then Kev and I played, uh, Blood and Bridges last night. One of the scenarios out of that, which is, it's the same system. Uh, and we had a lot of fun with it. It's tanks shooting at each other, which is always good. Well, I've met Mark Walker at WBC, uh, Prescon, things like that. I appreciate what he's doing. He's a hell of a nice guy. I just wish the artwork and the rules were a little better. And, and, and the, the quality. I, I heard you say, you told me I was on the fence about Nuclear Winter 68. Yeah. My local game store had it. The theme looks interesting. But you said the boards were warped really bad. My boards. I think I sent you the picture. When I set it on the table, it was like a sideways W because it was warped so bad. It was crazy. Yeah, and, and I was these these this, this 
America Conquered even has, they bow a little bit just sitting on the table, which, like, wow, it's, if, if it's gonna do that, just give me a paper map. I'm fine with the paper map. I, and the freaking boxes are too small. You, ah. Oh. Well, I studied White Star Rising for a long time before I bought it, and then, you know, I read complaints about miscut counters and things mm-hmm. like that. Luckily, my copy didn't have it. But to me, that game played more like miniature, like a miniature. The combat system felt like miniatures. Yeah, that makes sense. Man, it was just okay. And I played yeah. all things zombie. No, that was okay. Um, yeah, they're they're fun games. It's nothing to take too seriously, I guess. Dave, do you have any opinions? Want to weigh in on lock and load? Yeah, I've been talking for like five minutes, and I didn't realize I hadn't set my mic back on. <laughs> nice. Hey, so what's the scale for the game as far as World at War? I mean, they've got a bunch of different game systems, right? Um, they Lock and Load is, I think, the main system. That's squad-level, like, ASL Superlight. Oh, no, I was going to say, that's a, that's a poor... <laughs> super that's super a, light. That's a poor motherfucker's ASL. That's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, World at War is, I guess, platoon-level tank combat. So there's, there are infantry units, um, but the focus is mostly on, on tanks. But that War to War is the one that's hypothetical, correct? Yeah, it's, it's like 1987, I guess. So right before the wall comes down, the Soviets cross into West Germany and start World War III. And they're Death Leopard t-shirts. That's right. And these are Chipple? Yeah, it's Chipple. And so is Nuclear Winter like the more is it, does it use the same system as World at War? It's pretty close. There, there are some slight differences. Um, and I think maybe that was getting me caught up a little bit. But for the most part, yeah, it's, it's the same system. And from America the, Conquered also? Same thing? Yeah. Okay. From the, from the ones I've played, Dave, uh, all things are the zombie game, White Star Rising. I played the hypothetical 1987 Red Dawn Invasion one, one year. Um, it's pretty much all the same system, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The um, Nations at War, the White Star Rising, is basically World at War, which is the World War Three one, but just set in World War Two. So it's the same system, just different setting. So uh, I've I've seen the common complaint seems to be the box size. Like once you punch yeah, everything out, me it, off. Fit back yeah, it doesn't the fit. Yeah, it barely fits the maps folded and then the counter sheets. So once you punch a counter out and it sits on top of it, you're you're done. Yeah, so what, what's the point? I mean, is, I it, is that a shipping issue, or what's the problem with that? I don't know. But it's, <laughs> and, it's infuriating. Because I, I got to say, when I look at the tactical World War II market, uh, yeah, everyone agrees, ASL is a great game. I can't play it because the counters are ugly. I will not play the game. I don't like how the I, – I think it's old, the way the printing looks. I'm not into it. It seems like, uh, you know, Lock and Load has an opportunity to really get a, a – High quality, nice looking components, and really capture that market. But I don't know. It seems like stuff like this kind of hurts their efforts. Yeah, it's it's either get a because it's basically the MMP box size. So right. either put a paper map in it, and then everything will fit. Or if you're going to have a mounted map, put it in like a GMT box size that's just a little bit thicker than what they have now. But the but the components are nice. I mean, the box are, are heavy yeah. duty, glossy, but they just fall short. They're just not. They're just too Like, shallow. something else will be shitty. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, we're almost there. Or we have a bunch of fifth graders 
draw our artwork. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, well, what's well, the well, Marshall, when I look at the counters, they're like silhouettes of, of tanks and stuff. What's the He's, he's talking about the lock and load games. Oh, like the leaders and stuff? Oh, it's oh, fucking hideous. The lock and load is the, the squads, and they're pretty cheesy looking counters. Honestly, I, when I, I did like how the figure, the, uh, counters looked for the America Conquered game. Mm-hmm. When I looked at the maps, and I saw the buildings and stuff, I thought it looked like a bunch of, uh, Monopoly buildings. Yeah, it's very pastel and very stripped down, but it makes it easier to play, honestly. Yeah, but I mean, as far as beauty, uh, eh. the maps were not great. So I was kind of surprised because I thought the game, you know, it seemed like they really went uh, strong on the colors and the, the visuals on the counters. And then when I looked at the maps, I'm like, and the names were like like uh, Smith Bay and stuff. You know what? I mean, like, I guess when I looked at the map, the names of the cities didn't really evoke anything for me. And I know it's it's uh, the, f- the future or hypothetical, but... I didn't get a feel. I actually like the map art because it lets the counters pop. Because that's really what you want to see. Yeah. I don't. I don't really care what the what the map looks like as much. Uh, I play eighteen XX games though, and those are like green and yellow and brown. So I came across some um, some of the squad level games at pretty cheap prices. So I traded those for an unopened copy of Case Blue, and I uh, yeah, don't have a good trade. Yeah, I don't have any regrets. <laughs> Never looked back. And never open case blue. There you right. go. Drive for oil. It's a good one. Worth opening it for. Drive for <laughs> oil scenario. Or edge of the world. That's a good one too. Uh, it'll just sit there in the showcase. Right. There you go. In the museum. Yeah, it's fine there. Who knows, who knew that in 50 years the greatest wargaming museum would be located in West Virginia? <laughs> yeah, who knew? <laughs> Piled under some thrift store finds. Video oh. games too. I, well, uh, you know what, guys? Um, since we're talking about tactical squad-level games, I would love to segue into my review Hit it. of Conflict of Heroes, Awakening the Bear, the second edition. You know, the, the Conflict of Heroes, made by Academy Games, uh, it's uh, you know well-known for high-quality components, all the stuff I love. Big, thick, like one-inch counters that can easily be uh, moved around without tweezers. Great mounted map boards. Uh, I mean, the chits practically fall out. There's even a uh, a plastic tray in the game where you can organize all the chits, so you don't have to use bags or anything like that. So they go. Academy Games always goes all out as far as component quality. Um, I have to disagree with that, Dave. Uh, my copy of the first edition, Awakening the Bear, the counters were miscut. Oh, really? That is correct. Wow, okay. Well, I'm reviewing the second edition. So the early adopters get fucked, basically. That's how it always works. That's what I've heard tonight from Field Commander and Ronald. Let me touch on that because that's a common theme with this company. Because the problem is, you know, they had a first edition, and then they they did Awaken in the Bear, and then they did the the Polish. I like how you say bear. They did the Polish game. They issued all new counters with that to replace the, the first edition Awaken the Bear counters. And then they did the uh, the Kursk version for first edition. And now they've come out with the second edition of Awaken the Bear. And kind of as the, the fans of the game have been going along, I think some of them are kind of upset because it's like constantly the game's being updated and they feel like their components are being like outdated with each new version. So... There is some heartburn about uh, the fact that, you know, 
they're they're changing the game and there's changes and so people feel like the game they bought it might not be playable anymore. But this is only second edition, so I'm going to talk about. It, so, uh, so basically, Awakening the Bear is a uh, it's tactical squad level. The rule book is 18 pages. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to play. It's it's basically a hex encounter and uh, mounted map boards. The uh, the game runs off of activations, so each player is going to activate units. Um, players are going to want to know the difference between first and second edition. Um, the big change between the first and second edition rules are: in the first edition, you could only activate, and then basically one guy would have an active unit, and the other player player would have to basically wait until that activation was done before they could uh, activate their unit. In the second edition, both players can have activated units at the same time. So that makes a big difference as far as what you can do in the game. Basically, everything's on the counters, so you don't need a lot of charts. When you look at your uh, unit counter, you've, you, you've got a squad. On the left top side, it's going to tell you how much it costs to move a unit and activation points. And then it has, uh, or I'm sorry, on the left, how much it is to fire a unit. And then it has the... Uh, the fire factors for, for firing against infantry or armor. On the right side, it has the, the activation point cost for moving the unit. And then it has its defense factors. So everything you need on the, uh, in the game is basically right on the countertop. So. And that's a card, that's a card assisted game, correct? Well, yeah, it's card assisted. Basically, the way the game works is you have an active unit that's, that you're moving using activation points. You get seven activation points. Um, you've got a, uh, you can do an opportunity action to interrupt another guy by burning all your activations, or you can use your cards to do activations. So cards are another way that you can perform actions. Uh, cards also can provide you with special weapons, artillery, uh, or bonuses. Like you can have like an experienced NCO or something like that that's going to give you more activation points or maybe more caps. Uh, caps or command action points, which allow you to do uh, a lot of different types of actions. So um, basically, the caps give you flexibility. You can either uh, you can either use a cap to activate a unit that's already been used, or you can use it to do uh, an extra action or supplement your action points, or you can use caps to add dice or add a uh, modifier to your die roll on a shot. So the, the caps are kind of your flexibility during the, the activations. Uh, do you know, Dave, what uh, the difference is between the first and the second editions? Yeah, the the big difference is, like I said, it's uh, with the first edition, you would have a unit activated. And then the other player basically, once you were activated, the other player only had the option of either doing an opportunity action, which would burn all of his actions, or, or doing like a cap action or something during uh, the one-side activation. With the new version... Each player has an activated unit at the same time. So if you have a four-player game, all four players each have an activated unit. So they can uh, it, it allows a lot more interaction between the, the players while they're playing, and it means one player is not basically sitting back and uh, just reacting. Each guy actually has an active unit during the game. Is the first edition expansion, the Swamp Map, is it still playable with the second edition, or did they reissue that as well? You mean like the marsh or whatever that is? Yeah. I believe it was called the swamp. I, I get asked, uh, when, when I was playing it at uh, CSW, I get asked by that. Uh, I don't know how compatible the versions are as far as 
whether you can use a first edition game with a second edition game, I have no idea. So uh, probably if you look it up on the BGG forum, they can tell you that. I'm sure that's been asked a bunch of times. Like I mentioned, the cool thing about the game is you don't need to use charts. Basically, you're just going to, when you shoot at a unit, you're going to roll dice, 2d6. You add your fire factors, uh, some factors for range, and if you beat the guy's defense factor, then you cause a hit on him. And uh, when you do hits, you pull chits out of a cup. So you basically yeah, I remember that. Up. Yeah, you just pull it out. And so you've got a lot of options for what kind of effect hits can have. Sometimes a unit might be unnerved or it might run away, or even a unit could be destroyed. So, um, And there's different chits for infantry and different chits for armored units. So it's kind of cool. You never know really what effect a hit's going to have on you. Well, I've seen the designer, like like in places you wouldn't expect to see a designer, smaller conventions. Um, so I'm sure he'll be at the WBC, and I'll I'll ask him, you know, about the compatibility of the versions and stuff when I head there. Yeah, and and you know, um, the one thing I would say is my experience with the second edition was I really loved it. I thought it looked great, and then. Uh, when I actually played like the first scenario, which was pretty basic, I kind of was left like I didn't like it that much. Um, but once I played it with all the rules, um, you know, they have group moves, they have shared activations, so you can actually put a couple units together, like as a platoon, and uh, and then go have them fight together, and you can move them, and they can actually share movement and activations together. Once you start really putting all the rules together, it actually is a much more fun game. That's what I remember from the first edition. Like, you would read to a point, and it would specifically tell you in the rules, okay, play this now. And then you could go back, and they'd say, okay, now this next page, add this. Right. And, I mean, and it, it kind of stepped you up until you got to the full game. And, yeah, and so, in a way different than, like, a scenario book. Yeah, so it's easy in the game, I think, in the beginning to be like, well, that scenario one kind of sucked because, you know, whatever, we were guarding a town, and the other guy moved up on me, and I couldn't really do much. But once you play it with all the rules, it uh, it really seems to uh, to show the strength of the system. That's good to hear because I I don't really like that. I guess they call it programmed learning or whatever, where it steps you into the different rules. Because I play most games that I have, you know, three or four times, and it's usually with someone different each time. So it's kind of hard to make that progression up. But maybe it's just worth jumping into the whole thing and starting on scenario five instead of one. Yeah, I think so. I don't, you know, and and the only real restrictions are basically like if you have an activated unit, you can always share uh, an activation uh, between two units, so they each share the same pool of seven activation points. But then you can also do groups. The only restriction is the groups actually have to be next to each other. So it it, it does give you some kind of flexibility. And when I mentioned the caps, the caps. Those command action points, they kind of are like your uh, wild card points. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe if uh, you want to shoot with a unit and it costs you four, but you only have three activation points, you can burn a cap then to give you the four that you need to take that shot. Right. But the, the, the interesting thing about it is as you lose units and units are eliminated, those reduce the number of caps you get each turn. So if you were going to get eight caps in a turn... Uh, and you lost four units, you would actually only get four caps that turn. So as units are eliminated, you also lose leadership and coordination with those NCOs and officers that are getting killed. So so in general, I mean, it's got everything I think you'd want from a tactical game. It's got smoke, pioneers, 
armored personnel carriers, uh, dug-in positions, fortifications, rules for hidden units. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun. So, I've heard it said about that game, it's like a minis game, but you're playing a board game. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's similar to any other tactical game where you're moving squads around. Um, one of the things that guys recommend is uh, that instead of doing the seven activation points that you get for an activation, instead you would roll three dice and take the high and the low and use those as your activation points. So it's not, it doesn't have that chess-like feel where everybody gets the same seven activation points. Um, and then you keep that uh, secret from your opponent. So your opponent doesn't necessarily know how many activation points you're activating has until it's done, and you mark it spent. So it actually point. sounds more interesting to me than knowing you're going to get seven every time, kind of mixing it up. Yeah, and, you know, and the, the other thing you can do is, you know, with these kind of activation option games where you activate and then the other guy activates, you can also uh, pass instead of activating. So if you're on the defense, probably you want to pass sometimes because um, it puts the pressure on the offensive player to do things. Otherwise you run the risk that all your guys are going to be activated and spent, and then the enemy can just run up to you and basically shoot you, and you have nothing you can do about it. So, right. so I would say uh, I really liked the game. I really enjoyed it. I'd give it like 8.5 out of 10 for, for fun. Uh, I didn't think it was super complicated, so I'd give it probably 8 or 9 beers as far as uh, how you could play it. You don't need any charts. You don't need CRTs. All you really need to know is you got a, a two, two-sided player aid that gives you the terrain modifiers and the range modifiers, and that's it. You can go play the game. Dave, what game would you give a 10? I would give Vietnam 1965 to 1975 a 10. I would give, uh, that's a good question. I'd have to think about it to give some, I mean, perfect game, like, that'd be a perfect game for me, so that's my answer. Okay, fair what enough. About you, Just Do you guys oh, wow. have 10? Do you guys have games that you would rate a 10? Go ahead, Marshall. No, you go ahead, Tiny Thing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say no, just off the top of my head. I would say D-Day at Omaha Beach. Definitely get a 10 as a solitaire game. Wow. And ASL be pretty damn close. Mm, that makes 10. sense. Even though it's got shitty artwork, Dave, as you've alluded to earlier. <laughs> so you would get ASL a 10? Yeah, because it's a, it's one of the few games I've played where I can see I can see it playing out in my mind, not as a game, but almost as a movie or a real life, if that makes sense. Like it's that tense. Like uh, somebody's coming up and they've got a satchel charge, and then you shoot them, and they drop the satchel charge, and then you're running over to pick up the satchel charge. I mean, it's that. I don't. I, I mean, it's just incredible. It's incredible. And, and of course, Hammer the Scots. I think that game's fucking awesome. You would give Hammer the Scots a 10. Yeah, but it's probably not a war game. Yeah, you, I think you've just blown your scale right there. What? It's not a war game. It's a war game. Eh. It's a I war. I, I just, I, I think it's a genius game. I'd say it's definitely a war game. I can't get anyone to play it. But it's definitely light. I mean, it's not heavy at all. Mm, yeah. But I really like that game. I just think it's a great game. Yeah, I agree. Why? I I like block games, but I don't think I don't. I just don't. That's not a game that I would. I mean, I don't think I I I played it, but I don't think I would. Whatever, it's your rating. So. (laughs) Well, I think to me, Hammer the Scots, at least to me, is like an old pair of shoes. 
you know, that, that you, you have bought and lovingly spent time in and just worn the hell out of, and it's always comfortable, it's always... But Marshall, always, you're saying the game's a 10, you're saying that's like the, the perfect game. Yeah, I, and I think Hammer of the Scots right. is, yeah, is fucking that. great. I mean, I just think it's a great fucking game. I mean, I've played games of Hammer of the Scots, you know, that, that I was sure I lost, and then I... I, and maybe it's because it's the only game I was ever good at. <laughs> That's probably got something to do with it. I mean, I haven't lost a game of Hammer of Scots in the years. Not that I'm a genius player by any means, but that game, I'm just, like, I connect with that game. I really connect with that game. I connect with it. Hey, Marshall. What? You bought any games this month? No. No? I bought a bookshelf. Okay. <laughs> for my ASL game. Did you get that many of them that you needed a shelf just for it? I haven't figured it out yet, but I think I've got um, complete set up to Armies of Oblivion, and I've got most of the illegally printed stuff, Critical Hit and Heat of Battle, which I didn't even know about. I've got a whole, uh, what's that, Saint Nazir? Saint Naz- how do you say mm-hmm. that? Yeah. How do you say it? Nazir. I've got a probably a six foot by four foot map of that. I'm not even sure if that was handmade or made by another company. I have no idea. I mean, I've got just shit that I don't even. I don't. I, I've got a friend that's really into it. He's supposed to come up and help me go through it all, but I don't think it's all gonna fit on my bookshelf. That's a lot of stuff. I got all the annuals. I mean, I I don't even know what I've got. I've got four or five rule books. Hey, hey, Marshall, let me ask you, do, do people at your work know that you're a wargamer? No, I don't generally share my, um, no, I don't, I don't share anything. I, I've always felt as a salesman and a piss poor one at that, that, um, I should know more about my customers than my customers know about me. There you go. So, so you're, you're not out at work? No, I'm not out at. <laughs> you're still in the closet? In the closet, that is correct. What about you, Jason? Yeah, yeah, and, and no one really knows what it is. I was telling people about Consum World, and someone said, "So, do you guys run around in costumes and stuff?" Alarming. <laughs> so no, that's that's not what board wargaming is at all. I always love it when uh, somebody sees like a game or something in my house, and they're like, "Oh, I like Dungeons and Dragons." I'm like, "Yeah, no, it's not anything fucking like Dungeons and Dragons at all." <laughs> now, are you so, out at work? Dave? I am. Proud of you. I uh. My my best man at my wedding, uh, in his speech, said something about me playing with toy soldiers. And then I had an experience recently at my my kid's preschool graduation where we had a little thing, and each teacher is going to read. They had a thing they filled out about their family. And my daughter had said, my daddy plays with toy soldiers, paints toy soldiers, and plays games with them. And, nice. Uh, and, you know, the other dad, it was all like, yeah, my dad goes and watches basketball games over his friend's house, and my dad, like, lifts weights in the garage. And when she she read that part about me, the, the, all the parents were like, huh, what? <laughs> <laughs> was Which this, one's her dad? There was this weird <laughs> pause where it was like, well, I don't, what does that mean? What's that mean? Like, my, my wife's nephew did one of those for Mother's Day, and they had all the moms that that class, and he's, I guess, six or seven. He's, I think he's in kindergarten. But he said, my mom farts. <laughs> nice. How embarrassing. Got dined oh, out. Uh, 
Um, yeah, one could, of my, it could have been worse. I mean, yeah. One of my customers came in and, uh, they were actually a new customer and they were saying, oh, we play board games, but you wouldn't understand them or whatever. And I was like, oh, what do you play? And they were like, we play Agricola. I was like, oh my Jesus Christ. It's your favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite. So, I mean, I've met people randomly, but nobody that, you know what I mean, that's really like, oh, a hardcore war gamer. Yeah. Not that I am, because Lord knows I'm not if Hammer and Scott's gets a 10, right, Dave? <laughs> So, well, when, so when people come over, do they see stuff at your house? Yeah, but you gotta remember, I mean, I mean, it's like statues, action figures, video games, and just a fucking mess, and people are like, well, this guy's a nutcase. You know what I mean? I mean, that's mostly what I get. Like, you're this, whoever this guy is, he's fucking nuts. Which is fine by me, you know what yeah, I mean? That's fair. So, so yeah. they look at the, they look at the messy game room and it's like crazy. Yeah, but I don't show, I don't show everybody that comes over that. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, yeah, whatever. Cause I don't feel like having to justify anything to anybody. If that, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah. You know, every, you know, that was a big problem when we got our house. Um, the person that lived here before us was a avid train collector and a model train enthusiast. Mm-hmm. So the whole basement is done. And like the oak board theme, and we actually have a stage, like a stagecoach stop stage, where he had a pool table and slot machines and stuff like that. Wow. And yeah. So like, I'm like, well, as soon as we look at the house, I'm like, oh, perfect place for a dining room table for board games. Right. There you go. And everybody's like, oh, you need to put a bar here and a pool table. You need to put a bar here and a pool table. What I'm gonna put there is the fucking dining room table. <laughs> the biggest dining room table I can get there. You know what I mean? So people are kinda like, everybody comes over and is like, why you got a table here? You need a pool table. You know, just shit like that. I don't, I don't give a fuck. You know what I mean? Fuck it. That's yeah, at some, at, for me at some point I had to be kind of like out of it. Like where the, everyone would know, uh, we'd have, we'd host parties at the house and we have like a, a room that used to be like a home theater. So when I got the house, I, I built like a redwood eight by five table where I set up my miniature games. And, uh, so when we'd have like a St. Patrick's Day party, I would set up like a civil war battle, like that featured the Irish or something on it. And I always thought it'd be cool for the kids to look at. But, uh, by the end of every party, you would end up with like 20 guys drinking beers in that room, <laughs> talking about the civil war, you know, looking at the battlefield. So it actually, it turned out the adults would really like the table more than the kids. See that that would be nice to live around like educated people, but I live in West Virginia, so you know people come over like, "What's that shit? <laughs> What's all them doll babies? You know, shit like that." So <laughs> fuck it. What are you gonna do? Not a fucking thing. You know what? That's the best way to be is to be a freak. Yeah, I wear mine on my sleeve. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> so what else have you been playing, Dave? Uh, played a little Vietnam with Billy Boy again on BGG and Jason. So, uh, my, uh, sent my, my, uh, South Koreans down that, to knock out some, uh, scummy VC that were occupying one of my province capitals. That went well. And, uh, I'm holding on. You know, Vietnam's one of these games where we're in 1966 and I'm not sure. I'm not going to know for five or six years if the strategy I'm using is even going to win the game for me. It's a marathon, not a foot race. Yeah, I might be 50 years old by the time this game's over. So, 
That's insane. And then I, I had, hey, I had my local wargaming buddy, Ken. Yeah, yeah. Up. We played Conflict of Heroes. Um, we played a, uh, a scenario called The Monsters, which is further back in the book. And it basically is the scenario where the Germans encountered T-34s for the first time. And uh, it was good. It was a fun game. The, the thing I'll say about Ken is uh, he's really quick at picking up rules. I mean, the guy got it right away. And he was playing this pretty hardcore war gamer. He likes Saints in Armor and like serious war games. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the thing that was interesting about him is he, he seems to absorb the rules right away and understand them. Like, I'll screw up a game and then the next day I realize, oh, I should have charged here or I should have done that. I mean, we finished the game and he was like, I should have passed more. Right, right away he had, he had really, uh, like kind of grasped the rules and figured out what he could do differently. So that's cool. I mean, it's, Face-to-face gaming, I think, is is a nice experience as opposed to vassal and solo gaming. So it was a, it was nice to have a guy who seems like he understands games and plays them close by. So we had fun. Does, does he buy a lot? Yeah, I mean, he, he's he's it's he's into all sorts of hardcore war games. So guy lives like ten miles away from me, so it should be good. What's his favorite game? Do you know? Uh, well, he wants to come over in two weeks and play Saints in Armor, so he likes all the those Musket and Pike Battle Series games, so we should get along fine. Yeah, for real. That's pretty cool. And I won, so, I mean, what what can I complain about? Yeah, that's always great. <laughs> I'm such a host. Yeah. Now, Dad, did you give him some beer and some uh, chicken wings or something? I was, I was going to say he didn't drink a lick. Uh-oh. Oh, I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, so then I felt weird. Like I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll just have some water, too. I'm like, you don't want to drink or beer or anything? <laughs> so so we drank water, some ice water, and we played some games. Oh, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's close. Bye. Yeah. Okay. You got to take what you can get. Yeah, exactly. Or you can run them off like me. Just say, fuck it, and run them <laughs> off. <laughs> Is that, have you been playing anything else? Not really. I mean, I did. I did the. I did a Blood and Iron review, solo review for the guild. We saw that. That nice. game was horrible in the end. Just um, let me let me ask you something. I had a question when I read that or saw that. Does the grease paint come off of the uh, plexiglass pretty easy? Yeah, it's just dry erase marker. Is that what you used? Yeah, yeah it's pretty handy. I got, I got a dry erase marker, and it's got an eraser on the other end, so I can just wipe it off when I'm done. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure what you used there. But I thought that was a great idea. But that game was, uh, yeah, if you look at the Saints of Armor, Saints and Armor, I've done a bunch of uh, reviews where I do session reports where I use that, and it makes it clear what's going on. Uh, but, man, that Blood and Iron game, I thought it was kind of cool initially, and it just sucked the life out of me, but I turned three. So it's packed up and gone. Nice. Sitting back on the shelf. You gonna sell that? No. So you, so you don't sell games? I don't like selling games. He just gives them away. I, well, only to special people. <laughs> and for Skull. Jason, do you sell games? Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't mind trading or selling at all. If I'm done with it, I'm done with it. Huh? I have too much of a collector gene in me as it is. With games, I have to keep it kind of pruned down a little bit. And I'm still, it's, there's more coming in than going out, but I don't hesitate to sell if I feel like I need to get rid of it. So Marshall, what have you played? Uh, 
Red Winter. All right. Cam um, Sharp said he was interested in, in hearing what you thought about it. Um, yeah, I like it. I've got some small quibbles with it. Real, um, real quick. So this is yes. one of a thousand red games. Which red game is this? This is, um, the, uh, 1939 Finland versus the, uh, Soviet Union. Okay. When the Soviet Union invaded Finland, um, set in Finland. Um, it's so different. It's 25 pages of rules. Wow. Um, they're not super complicated, but there are so many exceptions, if that makes sense. Um, this is one I think that would be good to play face to face. I've only played it solo. Um, face to face with somebody else that's read the rules because there's so much stuff you could miss. There's four or five different CRTs. Um, there's some, you know, there's like dates. So how does it work? Like what, what different CRTs are used when? Oh, well, there's like, uh, there's a combat CRT. There's an assault CRT. There's a, um, ranged fire CRT. I mean, it's just on and, and it's, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, the day turns are 90 minutes. The night turns are 15 hours and have a completely different set of rules. Okay. Um, and what's the counter scale? They're like companies. Okay. So it's, it's, you know, I, you know, companies, battalions, things like that. It's just, it's a great game, but there's a lot in the rules to miss. If that makes sense, I'm always going back to the rules because there's so many exceptions. The stacking limit's small. I mean, it's only, I think, uh, three infantry units per hex. But it's just so many exceptions. It's so detailed. I like it, but it's going to take me probably two months to feel comfortable with it, if that makes sense. Um and I have some minor quibbles with it, but they're probably just minor. Your off-board artillery parks, instead of having a box for them, you actually have to set them off the board. Okay. Like, it's a beautiful map. You couldn't have put a little couple little small boxes. Um, the night turns, you can freeze to death, which I think is cool. You have to roll on cool. the, uh, yeah, sub-zero loss table. Um, <laughs> the, Soviets had the option of building a bonfire. Oh, that's that's right. I was I was just gonna ask, is there a difference between which units freeze? Yes, actually, which is kind of kind of fucked up in a way, because there's an option during night and day to dig in, which right. of course gives you like a one column shift on the whatever CRT you're using. Right. So anybody that comes into that hex after one unit has dug in gets that full protection. But they dug foxholes for all their buddies. Yeah, exactly. But at night, if the Soviets build a bonfire, the bonfire only covers the unit to build it. Uh-huh. So it's like, well, well you could dig foxholes for everybody on the whole fucking hat. <laughs> and everybody just dive in, but everybody just can't walk around the bonfire. Right. And they're easier to shoot, right, if you if you light a fire. That oh yes. That's yeah, awesome. and if you don't light a fire, then you have to roll on the sub-zero loss table. It's just, it's, and 
you can send the fins out on like a recon mission where you don't actually move your units, but they can have like triple movement points to get there and get back and oh, do this. Cool. But you have to roll and see if they get lost because it's dark and snowing. It's a great game, but it's and it's it's not super complicated, but there's just so many little exceptions. I'm going to keep playing it. I want to keep playing it. It's great. It's just not, for some reason, it's just not easy for me. Does that make sense? Yep. But I want to it's a great game. I don't want to say it's not a great game. Well, I mean, it's got bonfire rules. It's like combination Winter War, more Boy Scout Jamboree. Yeah, it's Boy Scout Jamboree, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the gripes I have with it are, are certainly minimal. You know, no... Uh, you, uh, what? You know, why the fuck am I setting my off-board artillery actually off the board? You don't have a box for that? <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously. But, but, but no, is there, I don't. Is there a bonfire marker? Yes, of course. That's crazy. That's the best. And there's, uh, 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 skull markers you put on people that could have froze to death. I mean, it's, it's a great game, but it's not, to me anyway, and maybe it's something in my brain. It's not one that is easy as it probably should be. Yeah, that feels like that's taking like weather a step further than it needs to go. Well, and, and here's another thing. Like your movement rate on night turns, there's a separate section in the rules for night turns, and it's like three pages. It's not a lot. But your movement is like four times, three times more during night turns. And they're saying the reason is, it's not because it's easier to move at night, it's because the night turn is 15, it's 15 hours, long. 15 hours yeah. instead of 90 minutes. So, but no, great game. I hate to do this, Dave, but I'm going to do it. I sound like you. I got it at NWS online for like $26. Are you kidding me? No, it's not great. Did that include the extra kindling uh, counterpart? No, no, but it's, I tell you, it's a beautiful map. Um, it's a lake in Finland is where it's all around and stuff. But it's just... It's too much for me to handle by myself. Like, I physically need somebody else to own a copy of the game. Right. And say, yeah, we forgot this. Or, yeah, yeah. remember, on, on this particular unit does this particular thing. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I wanna talk about that a little bit too later when I'm, I'm gonna talk about Next War Korea. Uh, some of these games we solo play, and some of them are just too hard to solo play and have fun with it. You know, there's just too much going on. Like, I've had some games where I think if I could play face-to-face, they'd be great, but a solo, sometimes they can get a little bit exhausting. Yeah, it just drags. Well, and Red Winter, the thing is, I mean, the countermix fits easily. A countermix, units, markers, everything fits easily into one GMT counter tray. But it's still like, oh, but this does this, but, uh, oh, but this does this. You know, it's just so many exceptions. And maybe I'm just not intelligent enough to handle it. That means I won't even give it a shot. Well, I'm not intelligent at all, so it doesn't surprise me. But but you understand what I'm saying? There's like like a thousand exceptions in it. You know? Yeah. I mean, the rules to pass the glory, I was thinking about this, are the, about the same thing, same length. You know, so I think pass the glory is 27 pages. Mm-hmm. I think the rule book to this is 25 pages. And it's certainly not as complicated as pass the glory. But there's so many little exceptions. It's, it's just harder to play. Little exceptions. You know, I, I think it would be a breeze once you've learned it, and I think it would be a breeze 
if you had some guy that lived 10 miles away that was reading the rules <laughs> with you and say, oh, don't right. forget, you could pick each other up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Don't forget, you know, this unit can do this, and it's great game. Though. That wouldn't turn me turn me off from buying. If I knew what I knew now, I'd still buy it. You'd still buy it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Are they going to put out the immersion heater expansion here pretty soon? I have no idea. I'm still working through the first one. Still, but they still give you plenty, up the bonfire. Yeah, they still give you plenty. They give you plenty of player aids, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, there's player aids. There's charts out the yangs. There's, of course, all those CRTs. So, you know, I'm, I'm not bitching about it. I think it's a great game. It just, for some reason, is a hard game for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but but I don't know. I'd still buy it. I'd still play it. I can't. I can't wait to play it face to face. I can't wait to learn it. You know what I mean? So is that something that Joe will play with you or are you guys only ASL? I think at this point we're probably Joe and I are only ASL. That makes sense. I mean, you play that while we play anything else. Yeah, why, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not well, to become that guy. Me? I can't believe I'm that guy. <laughs> but I think with ASL, you really gotta play with somebody who knows what in the hell's going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not that familiar with ASL yet. So, but, you know, that's very key is playing with somebody that knows what in the hell's going on. Have you guys played ASL? I have not. I played squad leader. I have a buddy who, who wants to get into it, but we have trouble getting through a game of Labyrinth in a night. So, well, the scenarios in ASL, I mean, you can pick quick scenarios, but they're not going to have, I mean, you know, I played Squad Leader uh, Starter Kit with someone that hadn't played, uh, and I hadn't played, you know, ASL at all before. And even just, like, dumbed down, watered down ASL is, like, 50 miles ahead of Starter Kit. But, yeah. You know, that's, it's not for everybody. I understand that, but it's genius. But that's just me. But that, anyway, that's all I've played. I did get the uh, all eight. Counter sheets and player aids for War of the Suns laminated. Nice. Which I thought was pretty exciting. But I didn't have enough spray, uh, spray matte finish to spray all ten counter sheets. So Marshall, what do you use to laminate these, uh, counters? I use, uh, Mod Podge, purchased at Walmart, <laughs> matte finish. Alright. I don't like, I don't like it. What? I don't like doing that. I don't, I don't like the way it makes it feel. It don't feel no different. That's in your head. Nah, I don't know. It's they, hot here, though. I they think were telling me it has to do with skin oils. You're getting your skin oils on the uh, counters. That's yeah, true. I'm, I'm all That's about true. it. Just like a just like a pan, you got to season it. I gotta season my counters with my dirty hands. Oh, and I coat all my block game stickers with Maybelline 101 clear matte fingernail polish. Just saw throw it out there. I I do that too, which I actually I really like that. It makes it pop. I'm which sorry. Really, what do you coat with Maybelline? <laughs> Block game stickers, but you gotta let that shit dry because it's <laughs> in the bag. You gotta let it dry for two or three days. If you don't, you put it in the bag right away. They'll stick together. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I had my wife do it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Jason, what have you been playing? Um. So I played, let's see, I finished up a game of Hearts and Minds I've been playing on Vassal since February. Ended in 72 with a communist victory. 
So it ended pretty historically, actually. Um, I, I love that game. The reprint's getting ready to come out, isn't it? Yeah, I think it ships either late this month or next, early next month, hopefully. We, we can't talk about that, though. Oh, uh, hey, I've got, I've got a, a big pre-order thing coming up from uh, MMP. What's it? Last Chance at Victory? Battle of Gettysburg? You guys heard about this one? Yeah. I did it. I pre-ordered it. I found my, my impulse control failed me. At only $120? I have officially pre-ordered it. Can't say no to Gettysburg. You, you did say no to Gettysburg. You didn't, you didn't get guns, guns of Gettysburg. I know, but this one was $120. <laughs> um, what about, did you get the Worthington game Gettysburg? No. I'm a whore. This yes. one looks much nicer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one's only, I think, 30 or $40. Yeah, there were like 1,800 counters, so I was like, I'm in. Yeah. It's like a monster. Yeah, what's their other, their, I think, Marshall, you have it, the other Civil War game that they came out with recently. Um... Well, Marshall apparently is getting a beer, so. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> It's um Yeah, it looked on. good. They announced it and I thought it was cool that they ran the pre order from a uh, special deal from July first through July third. Mm-hmm. Kind of yeah. celebrating the battle. So I saw it and uh, impulse buy yeah. but sober. It was actually sober impulse buy. So That's just uh, too much for me. Yeah, I, well I'm not guaranteeing I'm gonna hang in on the pre order, but I think I just did it just out of some kind of weird Weird thing, but I looked at it. I thought the maps looked pretty cool. They looked pretty typical for MMP. Yeah. Um, the counters looked good, but I think just the system looks like it's going to be fun. So we'll see. It's, it was impulsive. <laughs> uh, let's see. I'm playing Tide at Sunrise on Vassal. It's another. It's an MMP IGS game. I really right. enjoy. Um, Is that the one that's our Russia versus Japan? Yeah. Yeah. The 1904, I guess. Russo-Japanese War. How's that going? Uh, uh, we're only two, I guess two and a half turns in. It's it's good. It's that's not Dave's kind of game. Very very simple. Um, more my speed. Twelve pages of rules instead of hundred and twenty. Only only one counter sheet. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, I think he's busting your balls. Yeah, that's fine. I'm, yeah. Uh, and then the World at War I played last night with. Kev, and that that was a lot of fun. Is it is it true that Kev Sharp cheats when he plays he did, games? He did not cheat, and I had my rulebook handy, but we we were all good. We were both both had a cocktail, uh, just kind of shot the shit for a couple hours. Um, he it's a nine turn scenario. On turn eight, he didn't move one of his guys that he that he probably should have. Uh, he attacked me instead. Uh, and it ended up costing him the victory, so I won by two, which was which was nice. And when we talk about Kev Sharp, we're talking about Kev Sharp that runs the big board. In case anybody yeah, doesn't know, everybody should meshtime.com or yeah. Hipshot. Yeah, everybody should. We should give him a little love since we give NWS so much love for free. Yeah, Kev's a good guy. Uh, I guess that's really all the war games I played, unless we want to talk about the other bull crap I've been playing. But I don't no, that's do. fine. We're good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So hey, so, uh, are you guys ready for me to talk about Next War Korea? Or do you yes. Guys... Hit it. So, uh, Next War Korea 
is a game that has been selling like hotcakes thanks to the recent troubles over in the Korean Peninsula. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a game that's, I guess, based off an old GMT game, 1995 Crisis in Korea, or something like that. I'm not familiar with that game, but I did buy this game when it came out. Now, tell us because all about this expensive. game. Okay, so here's the deal with this game. This game no, is no, the, no, no. Who makes it? When did it come out? Is it still it, in print? All that. It's a GMT game. It it came out maybe about eight months ago. Still I it came out before that. I thought. I think someone was playing it last year at Consum World. You son of a bitch! Don't you ever correct me during a review. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm gonna get off the internet. And that was a year ago, apparently somebody was playing it at Constant World Expo last year. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. And it, Mitchell Land is the designer. Uh, the guy is really responsive on BGG. So, I mean, if you have rule questions, he comes up right away and answers them. It's great That's because cool. of service. Um, it's basically a modern simulation of what would happen if the North Koreans invaded South Korea today. The, the scale, uh, units or divisions, brigades, some of the U.S. units are actually battalions. It's got a ton of counters. It's a really large game. Uh, it can be pretty complex. The, uh, the, the components are attractive, really nice. I like, I like how all the counters look. They're very colorful. The map looks nice. Very easy to tell on the map, uh, what kind of terrain is in each hex, which can sometimes be a pain in the ass. When you play these games, but in this game, it's always really clear what the terrain is. There's rules for weather. Um, one of the interesting things about the game is uh, this is a hex encounter game. It's driven by a, uh, a turn sequence, but it uses something called initiative. So there's actually two different sequences. So when one side has the initiative, it uses the initiative sequence, which gives it some extra movement sequences and combat sequences. But if that side does not uh, score enough victory points in the turn to, re- to retain the initiative, they actually lose it and it becomes a contested turn, which is a shortened turn for the next turn. And then whoever scores the most VPs in a contested turn gains the initiative and then goes back to the initiative turn sequence. So it's kind of cool because it forces uh, the guy who has the initiative to try to keep capturing objectives and uh, stuff like that so that the uh, they can retain the initiative and keep those extra turn sequences. So it's an interesting aspect. Uh, it kind of reflects the momentum that a winning side has uh, as it's continuing to conquer its opponent. So uh, I think that's kind of neat. Not a lot of does, games have that. Does that make it unbalanced, though, in, in favor of who's ever winning? Well, what it, what it does is it means that the guy who has the initiative can't just, like, say the, initially the North Koreans have the initiative, so uh, they're going to invade South Korea, and they're going to go after Seoul. But they can't just go after Seoul, because if they only focus on that, they're not going to have enough victory points every turn to retain the initiative. Okay. So they actually have to go out also and capture other cities and towns and destroy enemy units. So it... You know, it prevents a player from having like one single focus in a, in a turn, so because you, you want to retain it. Um, and and I'm going to be reviewing basically the advanced system. Uh, the basic system uh, has some some rules that abstract some parts like air power and things like that. But I'm talking about the advanced system for this. So, um, sea control. You have uh, sea movement. The naval forces are reflected. You have aircraft carriers. You have uh, uh, U.S. ships that can launch helicopters, you have surface groups, and it's the most abstracted part of the game where gradually 
as the turns go on, the U.S. starts to gain control of sea zones and uh, uh, at-sea boxes and inshore boxes, and gradually by maybe turn four or five, the U.S. is basically taking over the, the seas. So the mm-hmm. North Koreans aren't going to retain the initiative when it comes to naval control. The real uh, fun part of the game is the air system. So when you play the advanced game, I mean, you basically have like an air superiority phase where you match up all your fighters against the North Koreans' fighters, and aircraft are rated for like standoff ability, long-range ability, dogfighting, pilot ratings, weather capability. I mean, it's 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 a game by itself, basically, the air system. And it's all of that stuff abstracted out? Well, no, because, like, you actually line up squadrons. Like, you'll say, I'm putting five squadrons. Oh, also, the, their their range is factored in. So you, you'll throw six U.S. squadrons in the air superiority box, and North Koreans will throw, like, a bunch of squadrons. And then you actually fight out air, air turns as they start to shoot each other down. So you're rolling dice. Uh, say the U.S. has, like, an F-35 squadron that's, like, one of the best squadrons. At long range... They'll shoot at a North Korean unit that can't even reach it, usually kill it. Then when they get to standoff, they'll kill another North Korean squadron, and then they get to dogfighting. So the North Koreans can't even hit the guy until he gets the dogfighting range most of the time. So it's it's fun the way it all, like even the dogfighting is kind of fun, matching up your guys against the, your opponents. It looks like a hell of a game. Yeah. Yeah, so that's air power. I mean, and that's just air to air. So then you've got... Uh, airstrike-capable aircraft. They can actually launch airstrikes on on uh, your opponent. You've got ground-support aircraft that can go help out in ground combat. You've got uh, attack helicopters that can fly out of airfields and, and help your guys fight. Uh, movement's pretty standard. Your guys are going to move uh, using movement points. You have mechanized units or leg. Um, one of the neat things about the game is there's, uh, there's clearing hexes. So, like, say... You have a your unit captures a, an urban hex in Seoul. You don't automatically gain control of that hex. You actually have to try to clear that hex. So your guys have to root out all the cops and military police and civilians that are resisting you to gain control of that hex. So you don't know until the end of the turn uh, if you're able to actually capture like hexes like that, like air bases. You have to actually clear them. So. It's kind of a new thing. I haven't seen that in a lot of rules. Normally, you move into a city hex, and it's yours automatically. It's got air mobile movement, airborne movement. Marines can land. You can do amphibious invasions. Combat is pretty straightforward. It's going to be uh, based on the combat ratio and terrain. Um, so it's a great game. I mean, you've got special operations forces that are going to do all sorts of raids. You can uh, interdict the enemy. It... it it, the one thing I would say about the game is this game gives you all the options that maybe the real players in the world would have, and it can be a little overwhelming for a player. You know what I mean? That makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you've got all these different decisions on what you're going to do with your operations guys. You've got, you've got uh, special operations guys you want to send out on missions. You've got scuds you want to launch. You have cruise missiles. You have a, a whole air system. You've got all this naval stuff. And sometimes in the first turn, it can be like an hour before you even get to the ground combat. Which, you know. What? A whole hour? Yeah, I mean, like, now it speeds up a little bit as you go because, uh, 
you know, you, frankly, your guys all start to die. Like when you send special operations guys off on missions, they're going to do like raids, or they can target for your uh, scud attacks, or they can try to interdict, set up ambushes on roads, but they don't always make it back alive. So uh, you have to roll to see if they survive, and there's a chance they don't make it. So as the the turns go on, you have less guys to do stuff with, so the game does speed up a little bit. How much did that game set you back? Well, I think I bought it from our favorite retailer for about 50-something dollars, so... I don't think it was so painful. I, I, I want to say 50, 60 bucks, but I think it's 80 or 90. Yeah. Alright, how many, one out of 10, what would you give it? Well, I would say it's a, a really good simulation. It's realistic. It's, uh, it kind of, uh, is trying to replicate a very robust North Korean army that may be stronger than it would be realistically. The one thing I would say is, uh, you've got replayability with this game. Um, there's tons of different scenarios. There's all these options. You can have, you can pay victory points for options if like the North Koreans steal plans or if you want to bring in special fighter planes for the U.S. or maybe you want to give the uh, North Koreans like some kind of special, uh, air cushion naval attack vehicles they can use to get across the rivers. So every time you play, it's going to be a different game. So, um, I would say it's probably a nine. I don't think any game is going to give you this kind of uh, experience as far as really feeling like you're playing a modern war on the Korean Peninsula. Um, there are some downsides to it. Uh, like I said, it's all the game systems in the game. I can't even get into it in a review, but they're uh, taken by themselves. They're simple, but put together, they get to be very complicated. And uh, there's a lot of different systems that all fit together. And... Uh, so if you're playing it solo, it can be a lot to handle. And the other thing is, if you get re there's a reinforcement chart for the U.S. And if you don't get your reinforcements on time, they can be delayed. You can really get sunk early in the game. But uh, I would give it a nine. I would say, as far as complexity, it's probably going to be like six or seven beers. Wow, that's not bad. That's, yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun. It's great. I, like I said, I to give it a thorough review would be about an hour. So we're not going to get into all. So. Are you playing Vassal or are you just playing solo? I played Vassal solo and I played uh, Vassal with a friend. So, I mean, there's stuff like, they have rules like light infantry can actually infiltrate through enemy units and sneak behind them or get around them. You can dig tunnels under the enemy on the DMZ and pop up behind the, the South Koreans. There's just tons of chrome and it's a lot of fun. If you're into the, if you're interested in this period at all, it's a must-buy game. So that's cool. But I'll still only give it a nine, Marshall. Well, I'm just asking, asking questions <laughs> for curiosity. Still, nine's pretty good, no matter what. Yeah, it was good. I, I liked it. It was a lot of fun. How long would a complete playthrough of the campaign game take? I would say two days, probably, probably two two eight-hour days, maybe. I mean, you know. They, they've got a bunch of tactical scenarios where you can just fight, like, small areas. But then even with the strategic, the campaign scenarios, they've got three that reflect, like, a strategic surprise where the North Koreans basically surge across the border and catch the South Koreans off, off guard. They've got tactical surprise where they're, both sides are kind of prepared. And they've got extended buildup where both sides have been sitting and all their forces are up on the DMZ and ready to go. But the other interesting part of it is every time you roll, you're going to roll for, like, 
Is Japan aggressive or dovish? Is the China aggressive or dovish? Is the U.S. aggressive or dovish? So that all reflects whether, like, how many forces are going to be brought in. Will Japan give air force support to the U.S.? Will China give military support to North Korea? And uh, that also reflects each turn you roll in the sea. The U.N. tries to do a ceasefire resolution, so we see who, like, if, who's going to declare a ceasefire. So uh, every game you play is going to be different based on what kind of uh, options you choose. So the replay value, I think, is limitless. So. I don't know. Sounds good. No, it's a good game. I like it. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you just gave it a nine. <laughs> the map looks beautiful, by the way. I was looking it up on Board Game Geek. Yeah, I just like that it's clear. You know you know what it is. There's no arguing about what that hex is. or. <laughs> and uh, like I said, Mitchell Land, the designer's... You post something up, he answers in like probably 25 minutes as they answer your question. And they've got living rules, so as people ask questions, uh, they can update the rules. So the best rules to get are the ones from online, and uh, there's a lot of stuff online to support the game. The only thing that's not online is the CRT, so uh, if you want to play it, you're going to have to buy the game. Yeah, I like that too. That's a good idea. That's yeah, cool. exactly. So even yeah. on the Vassal module, no CRT. Does Vassal <laughs> handle that for you, though? What do you mean? Does Vassal handle the results for you? It'll roll the dice. There's no. It, it's not going to calculate the losses and everything for you. I'm gonna have to get me that there Vassal. Yeah, you are. I got a new computer. I should be able to do it now. Is the computer going to make the difference? Ah, uh, yeah, jackass. I think that it will. How are you going to go about getting Vassal? I'm curious, like, what your plan is for that. From a down, I'm gonna Google it and then download. <laughs> <laughs> Because the old computer came across as uh, movie files. Oh, oh wow. wow. All right, I don't even know. This is like trying to help my uh, my grandma set up her wireless or something. Like, I don't when know. my son comes home from college, I'll get him to help me do it. There you go. That's the plan. All right, so how you said this game would set us back $60. I don't know. I don't remember. I bought it like, apparently I bought it like eight months to a year ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we heard that a year. Ago. <laughs> if you, you want to know how much the game costs, go on BGG. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not advertising that other company no more until they send us free games. Which company is that? You, you know, know that company we're not talking about no more until they. You're talking about exactly. <laughs> so what's everybody gonna buy? What's everybody gonna buy and do before the before our uh, before we meet again? I think you should take that, Marshall. I'm going to the World Board Game Championships. Oh, that's in... That's next month. month. Yeah. That's my plans. I don't know what I'm going to buy until I get there. There should be some drama there. Why would there be drama there? You know why there's going to be drama there. There wasn't no air conditioning last year, so that would be one reason there wouldn't be drama there. But if there's (laughs) air conditioning, it should be fine. Yeah, and I'll probably, you know, I I saw Mike Ranella there last year, <laughs> and the problem was I was all hopped up on cold medicine and alcohol. So when you're going to go to WBC, what's the plan? What are you going to do there? Well, I've talked my son into going. Are you going to compete in a national board gaming championship? No, I'm only going for one day. Uh-huh. And I, I tell you what I would compete in, all jokes aside, but I... 
it would be Hammer of the Scots, but I don't know when that is. So, I'm You can playing. do Elkfest. Oh, God, jeez. <laughs> no, I, I plan to go, talk to our friends, game with some people, and open gaming, see what they've got to buy, although I don't know how much I'm going to buy, because it's so much cheaper to buy from that place that shall go unnamed. Right. Um, you know, just, just general, just being there and walking in that one main room where all the old Avalon Hill shit's being played, seeing, uh, just, just walking past, uh, Don Greenwood in the hallway, it's like mm. magical and shit. Yeah, you see what cool. I'm saying? It's like magical. So, so are, are you bringing a game to play or are you just gonna? I'm just gonna show up. Nice. I'm not even bringing my own beer. Because I feel that people should give me beer. So you're just walking in like boogie nights. You're just gonna walk. Just, yeah, that's exactly right. You're a superstar. <laughs> superstar. But you know, I've, I've met some great people there over the years. Um, I have had offers to stay, stay the night. But um, my son said he would go, so he doesn't know yet. He's gonna drive me home. Hopefully, you, you know, two years or I've had a cold when we went up there. So hopefully this year I won't have a cold. And I can drink and and play play whatever. I thought about taking Red Winter, but I just I think it's too much to take up there, and I can't I certainly can't teach it at this point. I'm sure you could find someone to play with though. Yeah, but I don't want to play with no jackass. <laughs> Maybe you can play Devil's Cauldron with somebody. Yeah, that'd be cool. I gotta find out if Starkweather's going. Although I don't think Starkweather goes to that. Well, he just said he's putting out his uh, he's going to put out his GTS British Beaches. On uh, pre-order soon. So. Oh, well then we'll have to text him and remind him to uh, send that to Advance After Combat. Heck yeah. As a review copy. Well, I got I got a buddy coming over on Saturday, and we're either going to play uh, Florist from Saints and Armor, or we're going to play uh, uh, that uh, what is it called? Uh, the Chariots game I just got from GMT. We're going to play Chariots of Fire. Game. Chariots of Fire. There you go. Are you so gonna buy anything, Dave? Huh? Are you gonna buy anything? I mean, you planning on buying anything? I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you crazy? Yeah, right. Jason, what are you gonna buy? Um, I think I just got charged for a distant distant plane. What's that? It's uh the coin series, like Andy and Abyss. Oh, it's, Af- oh, it's got wood blocks. Yeah. And cards. Yep, that's the one. Enjoy that. <laughs> so hopefully that I, I, I guess it won't be here by the next time we record, but it'll be it'll be close. Um, Hearts and Minds might be close. I've already paid for all these though. You didn't get how about the Lake on Fire? Um, it hasn't been. It's it made the cut, but it's not it's not announced yet when it's going to be on the production schedule. And here's another thing I found. Like I pre-ordered uh, It Never Snows, but it was the it was much cheaper online than the pre order price I played to get it three weeks ahead of time. Yeah. And I still haven't played it. Uh I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the toss up for I mean, yeah, I wanna see stuff get printed, but Yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. I mean, the, the question is, like, if you don't order on the pre-order, are you still going to get a shot to buy it normally? Yeah, well, Kickstarter, that's a great question. You know? I mean, like, with pre-orders, like, 
What happened with Case Blue? Did they just do pre-order? Did they actually sell regular versions of it? No, they sell regular versions. They sold it. It just sold out. Yeah, so if you know, like maybe I'm an idiot for buying this Civil War game. Maybe I should just wait for it. already made the cut. It made the cut on like the first day. I guess yeah. it depends on how. Here's my problem. If I pre-order something, well, it just sets on the shelf. So why wouldn't I wait and order it cheaper offline? Unless I'm really behind it. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But I'm never that, I'm never that motivated to do that. I'd rather, like you all were talking about second printings of games. And I'm like, well, this, I'm the douchehead in the group that bought the first printing <laughs> of Field Commander Rommel, D-Day at Omaha Beach. I'm not sorry about that. Uh, Awakening the Bear. Uh, yeah. So now I feel like stupid for buying Awakening the Bear and Field Commander Rommel in the first printing. Yeah, that was stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, I know but that it, now. But if well, no one bought it, they wouldn't have printed another one. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty, Dave, jackass. That was, you got, that was stupid. I can't believe you did that. I know, but then there's examples like Case Blue and The Devil's Cauldron, which <laughs> I didn't get. Now they're out of print, and it'll be ten years before they're back in print. I tell you what I am going to get at uh, World War Game Championships. Gadarian's Blitzkrieg 2, because it's been there. This will be the Third year I've seen it there, and I haven't bought it the first two. I am gonna buy it. Is that about a hundred? Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. And that will yeah. go into the museum. That's correct, right? Side case blue. Yeah, it's gonna go because because yeah. even I have that one, and I don't think I've ever played it. Yeah, have you played the Blitzkrieg Legend? No, I haven't. Haven't played it. But I am gonna look for the Guns of Gettysburg because Jason, that looks cool, and you made it sound cool. Yeah, it's it's. It looks interesting. Probably not solitaire capable, but. And Dave, why haven't you played the Blitzkrieg Legend yet? I don't know. It just seems like it's a lot to get it out on the table. I don't know why. I don't know why I have it. Some of those OCS games, I buy them just to have them. Nothing wrong with that, brother. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I look at them. I, I look disagree. over the scenario book. I look over the rule book. I love it. And I put it back in the box. It goes back on the shelf. That's right. Blitzkrieg Legend isn't even punched. Did you spray the counters? <laughs> Why would I spray them? I haven't even touched it. Did you laminate the player aids and the CRTs? No, no. That is something I'm going to have to do with D-Day at Omaha Beach. Those player aids are... It's like paper. They're not even printed on cardboard. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while since I... It's been a couple of years now. What, three or four years since it originally came out? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, it seems to me I do have player aids somewhere. Yeah, there's three or four of them in there. I might pick up the, the second printing of that at WBC also. Just because? Mm-hmm. See? I, art, I did it with Hearts and Minds. You're going to do it there. The artwork's different. I, see, I just don't like Worthington Games. I'm just not crazy about Worthington Games products. Uh, never buying their games. The gameplay or the components? Both. Yeah. I have, I, uh, yeah, I guess I have two. I have Hearts and Minds, which I love. I mean, the components are passable. U- ugly, ugly. Yeah. Hey, Amen. Yeah. The, them hats look like fortune cookies and shit. They work. But then I have Boots on the Ground, which is the, it's a skirmish modern game. And it's like, I don't know. The counters are fine, but the cards in it are like not even business card quality. 
<laughs> and they they weren't shrink wrapped in the box. I bought it brand new. They came in the box loose, so they're all beat up and dinged up. And the gameplay's a little. It's okay, but it's you know it's nothing to write home about. I have. I was so given fifty fifty. I was given Hold the Line as a Christmas gift one year. Oh, mm-hmm. I saw I saw that game at the store, and I thought that game looked like dog shit. Well, well, here's what happened. The damn uh, counters had popped out of the uh, the sprue, and I could find no counter manifest, no correct counter manifest anywhere. So I have no idea if I have all the counters or not. You should try and, to play it. Uh, who cares? It looks like dog shit. It was a Christmas gift, and I'm by myself anyway. Yeah. But like, and I was looking at the Red Runner rule book. It it was only one counter sheet, but it has a copy in the rule book of the front and back. Oh, that's cool. Of the actual counter sheet, which goes a long way. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, when I, when I was at the game store, I saw that game hold the line. Like, what's that, like American Revolution? Yes. And I was just like, fuck no. I saw it. <laughs> it's horrible. And I have um, Cowboy's Way of the Gun, oh, too, yeah. also. And I think that was more grab to try to relive the legacy of uh, Gunslinger. But obviously Gunslinger's better. It just looks like shit, like Dave was saying about ASL. Yeah, and I'm just like, uh, it's just like, I don't feel like I'm fighting the Battle of Saratoga if I'm putting or pushing around 12 fucking counters against like 13 fucking British counters. You know, that just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, so I mean. That's my scale. But they're local, I mean, like, uh, Virginia Beach, right? Or something like that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to best on anybody that's trying to make games, but I, I, I frequently do. No, I'm sure who are, they're making great games for great people. <laughs> I have two of them. Oh. I almost bought the Gettysburg game. I have two of them. Dude, the Gettysburg game I want is the one coming out from MMP. Yes. That's based on the uh, Antietam game they got. Mm-hmm. Oh, which uh, one's that? It's the one oh. you're talking about, the line of battle. No, that's, no, that's Gettysburg. No, the, the series is called Line of Battle. That game is called Last Chance for Victory. Yeah, it's Gettysburg. But the yeah. Antietam game is but called... But the Antietam game... Yeah, started it. Uh, I good. have that... No, this is a brand new series. Oh, the yeah. Uh, None But Heroes. No, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah, I looked at that's that, Antietam. but... That's correct. I have that one. I don't, yeah, that's I, the one I just pre-ordered, like an idiot. What do you mean pre no, the Gettysburg pre, one? You pre-ordered the Gettysburg game. Yeah, no, I'm saying I just pre-ordered the Gettysburg one like a moron. Why? Because I got like caught up in the whole frenzy of it and I don't know why I did it. it well, I have none but heroes, which is the Antietam game, but I haven't played it yet because the rules are like 68 pages long. Well, yeah. play it so you can let me know if it's any good. So I can yeah, that's, order. that's, I'm so. struggling with Red Winter, so I know. <laughs> yeah, that's what stopped me. The series rules are what, 68 and then the Game rules are another twenty. I can't. I can't do eighty pages of rules. Yeah, it's very involved. I printed them off at work. Hope the boss doesn't listen. And because uh, I didn't want to ruin, you know, with finger rolls increases the uh, exactly. You know the uh, the official rules that came in the game box. But the maps are beautiful. You know, and and part of that is I live five minutes from Antietam Battlefield, so I just felt like I needed to have that game, but. And always, as a completist, you get in on the ground floor or something, that's cool too. 
Well, you, you understand that if you had Vassal, you wouldn't have to do any of the spraying or, you know, you could probably save the wear and tear on a lot of your games. I'll play them anyway, Dave, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so I prepare them nicely. You need to get it so we can play Hammer of the Scots. Oh, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get it in the next day or two, all jokes aside. You're going to get Vassal? Yeah, I got this new computer. It's got a nice microphone and a camera and a... You should see the screen on this thing. It's got to be like 12 or 13 inches wide. It's huge. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, Lord. Are you sure you can buy an iPad? <laughs> no, I, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, I'll believe it when I see it. I still got two TVs downstairs that we play our video games on. All right. Because that's, like, authentic. Um, Anybody else got anything else? I'm good. I think so. Jason? No, I think, yeah, I think that's it. Dave? I'm good. Is that the end? I believe so. Bicycle. Are we starting now?